Hi, Doxology. Uh, good morning. My name is Kyle. For those of you who don't know me, and I'm a member here, and I'm going to be doing the scripture reading today. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Uh, so I invite you to open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, uh, we have some light blue Bibles at the entrance to the sanctuary. You are welcome to take one of those as our gift to you. Um, and again, it's going to be Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Sorry. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kyle. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you guys. And yeah, as John mentioned, if you're new, whether you're exploring the faith or you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's really good to have you. And he made that comment about mixing up evening and morning because we used to be in evening service for a number of years, but we switched to the morning to try to open up uh, more possibilities for different demographics to join our church. So we're really glad you're here with us. If you're new, hope you feel very welcome. And we're just continuing where we were in a church. Uh, as a church, we are in evening service where we're walking through the entire gospel of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus. And here we're nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's manifesto for life in his kingdom. And if you've read it before, for those of you who've been with us, have you guys noticed that the Sermon on the Mount is 100% relational? It's not, here's some life hacks to streamline your life, right? But it's 100% relational. In other words, how we engage in the glory and real mess of relationships in a way that opens up heaven for those that are connected to us. And most of the Sermon on the Mount is our horizontal relationships with other people, Uh, But today, Jesus, near the end, he gets back to the vertical relationship that we have with God. And you get the sense that he levels up the urgency here. So he says, ask, seek, knock. So anytime you hear Jesus say something three times, it's as if he's saying, stop what you're doing. You really need to pay attention. I experienced this this, this week because one of our elders, Andrew, he texted me and he said, Steve, there's this amazing podcast I just listened to. Stop what you're doing and listen. To. I was like, Andrew, I'm doing something. He's like, no, under pain of no more ice cream in my house, listen to this podcast now. And I love Andrew's ice cream. So I listened to it. It's a great podcast. I'll probably quote it in the coming weeks. But the point here is Jesus, he really wants us to get and to pay attention um, what he's after in this passage. And on one level, it is on prayer. And so in light of that, just think of your own experience with prayer, because I've found that for me and most Christians, prayer is top three disciplines that we find the most challenging. And it's one of those things where it's like, I know I should do this, I just don't. And so if that's you, just here are some things that I've heard from some really honest people on difficulties they've had with prayer, and see if any of these things resonate with you. I find prayer boring. It sounds terrible, but it's how I feel. Okay, or the next one, I get distracted. I sit to pray, but then I go on my phone or I start thinking about my to-do list. I feel too guilty to pray. Why would God listen to me? Or here, I prayed for something really important and God didn't answer. So why would I do that again? 
And then number five, I guess I don't believe prayer does anything. I know I've been there and I continue to cycle through these feelings and beliefs based on my season of life. And Jesus knows this. And so in this passage, actually, he's at something far bigger than the mechanics of prayer. I ask for something 10 times and he gives it to me six out of 10. He's actually, he's actually after something far bigger and better. And it's how we understand the character of the God that we're in relationship. And I, I really do believe God has a word for us this morning, as he does every single Sunday. But I, I'm really hopeful that he meets you and how he's been meeting me this week. And so we can break down in, um, what Jesus wants us to get and to pay attention to with, uh, with these three things. So first, what does Jesus want us to know? Okay, what he wants us to know. Number two, what he wants us to do in light of what we know. And then number three, what he wants us to have. Okay, so what he wants us to know, what he wants us to do. And then number three, what does he want us to have? All right, so first, uh, starting in verse seven, what does Jesus want us to know? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For, to every, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, if you've prayed for over at least a few years, you read this promise, and it is a promise. You read it with suspicion. Because how many of you are thinking, okay, I've prayed for something. How many of you, how many of you have prayed for something good and did not receive? Okay, so the healing the healing of a loved one, uh, a friend or family member to come to faith, uh, reconciliation in a relationship that you really wanted to happen, okay, a strong desire that you had or have that's good and not selfish or stingy and God didn't answer. Okay, so you immediately read this promise with, with suspicion, if you're being honest and you can be, and Jesus himself is, he is very acquainted with unanswered prayer. Okay, so on the eve of his crucifixion, as he, he was weeping, as he prayed for God to take the cross away, and God didn't answer in the way he hoped. And perhaps just as perplexing, in John 17, his final prayer with his disciples, he prays for unity amongst all Christians. That promise is yet to be fully realized. Exhibit A, see the internet. Okay, just go on any comment thread where you can see so many Christians snarling at one, at one another. So Jesus knows that unanswered prayer happens. And so he must be after something different. So what's he after? And part of the key here is in this progression of ask, seek, knock. I see this progression take place almost daily in my home. So one of our boys is, he's playing with something, usually trucks, you know, in, in the living room. And he's playing. And then as he's still looking at his toys, he's hey, mommy, can I have this? And then she's not in the room. So he looks up, she's not around. So then he starts seeking after her. He walks down the hall, mommy, I need this. And then finally he comes to a closed door. And moms, you know something about a closed, if you're on the other side of a closed door, it only increases the intensity with which your child must find you. Even more so for some reason, especially if it's a bathroom door. I think moms for 10 years of your life, you never get to go to the bathroom on your own. Okay, and so what's, what's going on here? So then finally one of our children finds Kelsey on the other side of a door, right? She, she opens it up, she, she scoops him up. And so what Jesus is describing here is prayer is a journey that starts with need and ends in relationship. And we know this even further because of the, this language here Jesus uses of knock and it will be opened. 
So in Jesus' context, everybody would have known immediately, oh, okay, knocking it will be open. Because in Jesus' day, to dine with someone, to have them come into your house and sit at your table, it wasn't just to tolerate their presence like you might do at family holiday meals later this year. It's far more than tolerance. To have somebody at your table was to signify the deepest form of intimacy and the greatest affirmation of someone's character. And so when Jesus said, your Father in Heaven tells you, knock, and it will be open, what he's saying is, your Father in Heaven really, really loves you. He affirms you, and he delights in it when you come and talk with him and ask him about things. And this is what Jesus wants us to know. Now, Going back to the topic of unanswered prayer, that topic really matters. We touched on it a few weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer. You can listen to it if you haven't listened to it yet. Someday I'd love to do an entire teaching on unanswered prayer. But that's not Jesus' main point today, and so I don't want it to be our main point. Jesus is talking with people where their main question is, does God even listen when I, when I speak to him? And his answer is, yes, he does. More than that, he, he loves to listen. And so I think about the relationship I have with my boys— so my boys ask me all kinds of things all the time. Sometimes I say yes. Other times I say no. Like, dude, it's 5 a.m. It's way too early for a tickle fight. Not going to do it. Okay. Other times I'm like, I would love to do this for you, but your dad just isn't powerful enough or wealthy enough or he's just not able to do it. And, but the point is I love it when my children ask me for things because it shows that they know I care. It would grieve me to my heart if they stopped asking me, asking me for things. Why? Because it would show that they didn't believe I cared about them anymore. And so think about for any child, what's more important for them? That, they, that their father says yes to every request? Or even that their father explains all the mathematics of why they had to say no to a request? Or is it more important that a child knows their father loves them and cares for them? And their general disposition is to do everything they can to care for them. Of course, it's the latter. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is who your Father is in heaven toward you. He really, really loves you. He's actually good. He's actually good. And New Testament scholar uh, Scott McKnight, he, he put it this way on how we think about motivating ourselves and others to pray. He says, it's easier to make Christians feel guilty about their lack of prayer life, easier to make them feel guilty about their lack of prayer life, than it is to motivate them to be active in prayer. The former, guilt, rarely produces the latter, active prayer. Jesus' words here may be the most insightful words in the entire Bible on how to motivate people to pray. Instead of using guilt, we need a compelling vision of the goodness of our Father. God delights in our presence. And this is, that's what Jesus wants you to know. He actually really loves you and really wants you to just come and talk with him and ask him for anything. Okay, so in light of that, number one, what does Jesus want us to know? Uh, what does he want us to do? Okay, and so the first thing we can infer what he wants us to do is to talk with God about anything. So you think about your prayer life, not just early in the morning, but just throughout the day. Talk with God about anything. So just ask yourself, how many, do you believe that God mainly only wants you to pray about the big stuff? You know, does God care about the more mundane things? And because Jesus' point here is God has unspeakable affection toward you, 
he wants you to share everything, including the, quote, mundane things. And I realized that I was unintentionally teaching my children this because so I get to pray with them every night, like right before they go to sleep. And usually we would pray for really good things, but usually, the, you know, they're the big stuff. And then so finally one evening I looked at uh, Titus and I said, hey, Titus, would you like to talk to God about trucks? He's like, what? It's like, do you want to talk to God about trucks? Because he adores trucks. He knows everything about trucks. When we're on the road together, I'm like, hey, Titus, is that a bucket truck? He's like, no, it's a telescopic boom. I'm like, I don't know what either of those words mean, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. So I'm like, no, would you like to talk with God about trucks? He's like, heck yeah, I would. So, you know, we, we thank him for him. We pray for the drivers. We ask God to open up more opportunities for him to see the trucks. And what happened was as we began to talk about trucks to God, as you could see, God became more real to him and to, to his brother as well. And I'm like, yes, because God delights in these things because he delights in you. So he cares about the things that you care about. And so for you, just consider, do you talk with God about a fa- like a favorite story you're reading, right? Or a small hope you have for the future or a favorite memory you have or a really sweet moment that you just got to share or something that you're looking at in creation and see if God doesn't become more real and personal to you as you do this. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing here is just talk to God about anything and everything. Number two is ask God for good gifts. Right, so here, the, the, the final uh, portion of verse 11 at the end of the passage, how much more will your Father in heaven, who's in heaven, give, give good things to those who what? Who ask him. So sometimes you, you may not pray because you believe God's just too cruel or checked out or indifferent to care. Okay, but other times, you may not ask God because maybe you think it's, this is too selfish of a request. It's too annoying of a, of a request. And what Jesus is pressing is sometimes, really, you do not have because you do not ask God for good things. And you can see what the ask, seek, knock, it does often infer a persistence in prayer. Just consider, do you ask God for good things? Uh, As one scholar put it, it's often confusing, right, on how how do our prayers intersect with God's sovereignty. And one way he describes it, which helps gesture at it at least, is just as God ordains that crops will grow, the means by which crops grow is through humans planting seed, right, and watering plants. So God ordains that things will happen in the world, but the means by which he makes them happen is when his children pray. You hear that? So sometimes, really, when you pray, it makes things happen. And so people really do come to faith. Relationships really are reconciled. People really do get healed. And so ask for good things for your brothers and sisters in the church. Pray for them to persevere in the faith. Pray for good things for your enemies, as we saw earlier in the sermon. Pray for good things for you. Any good thing you have for somebody else or, or, or for yourself, ask and just see if God doesn't allow you to receive. Okay, so that's, that's number two. Okay, ask God for good gifts. And then number three, ask God to change you. I think this is the area where I think many of us maybe have the greatest weak spot or blind spot in our prayer life. Ask God to change you. So how do we see this in the passage? And the, the key is the context. So this isn't a disjointed 
right? Like amalgam of sayings that just got thrown together. There, there's a logic to this sermon. And what came right before this? We looked at it last week on Easter. Judge not, i.e. lead with mercy and kindness and giving the benefit of the doubt in your relationships rather than criticism and condemnation. And then right after this passage is the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the summation of the law and the prophets. So give other people the same level of creativity and energy and gentleness that you want other people to do for you. Try that for half a day and see how it goes. It's really hard and possible, in fact. And so one of the things we need to pray, so what are we asking for? Well, certainly the things that we described earlier, but also what Jesus is getting at here with the context is we need divine supernatural help, which God loves to give us through his Holy Spirit, to be the presence of God, who's always good, always kind, to be the presence of God in the lives of others, especially our most difficult relationships. Okay, and so pray for God to change you, and, and he really will. Okay, so pray for God to change you. So those are, those are a few things that Jesus wants us to do in light of, okay, what we know, that God has so much affection for us. So now number three, what does God want us, or what does Jesus, they're the same, Jesus is God, what, is, what does Jesus want us to have? And what he wants us to have is assurance. He wants us to have assurance that God actually attends to us in the way that he's describing. So let's read verse 9 through 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So how can you be assured that God attends to you in this way. Because you have a Father in heaven is how you can be assured. And here we can acknowledge that this image is difficult for a lot of people. Because maybe for you, and you know, John mentioned the image of Father throughout the call to worship. So maybe even since the start of the service, you've been thinking, this image isn't very helpful or comforting to me. Because for you, the image of Father conjures up Feelings of neglect or absence or something far worse. And so as a timeout, dads, as a stumbling dad myself, I want to make it really easy for my kids to understand this verse. And in a world with so many absent and angry fathers, can we be the kinds of dads who, when our children grow up they, and they find out God's a father, they go, God's a father? That's the most incredible love I know. Okay, what, a, what an incredible purpose to live for. Okay, an entire church, we need your help with this. Okay, so, and time out, back to what Jesus is getting at. Yes, this image is often difficult. We have, have an opportunity to change that for future generations. But Jesus' point here is, even the best of human parents, the best of human fathers, are evil compared to your father who's in heaven. That's why it says in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to get, give good gifts. It's, a, it's comparative. 
Right, and so human fathers, even the best, have never been meant to be anything more than an illustration of the real thing. And so even if your image of the father that you have had or have is painfully broken, you still have the real thing, is what Jesus is promising you and assuring you with here. And so in light of this, as you consider God as your father, just think about as you go throughout your day, as you pray, this question was helpful for me when I first heard it. What face does God have as you engage with him? What expression does God have toward you as you engage with him? Is it frustration? Disappointment? Is he checked out like many parents we see now, right, on their phones as their child is next to them just longing to be seen? Is he impotent? Happy? Filled with joy and surprise that you wanted to ask him something and talk with him? How you picture God's expression toward you makes all the difference in the world. Not just in your prayer life, but with with your life. And for me, as I was reflecting on how this has played out in my life, a, a big turning point for me was when I was in college, and I went through a season of depression, and, you know, it got to where I was skipping my coursework, staying in bed most days, and generally believing the lie that I was far more of a burden to the people around me than anything good. And so I finally just, you know, packed up a backpack and started driving home. And on the drive home, <laughs> it, I wasn't just filled with swirling thoughts about how I've let my friends down, but how I'd let my father down because he was helping me pay for school and just really, just in general, been nothing but a a great father to me. And so I get home, and I did, there was a worry with how is my father going to receive me, given why I'm coming home, and I've basically been squandering this past semester. And so I'm getting out of my car, and I look at the door, and he walks out of the door. And then he runs. He speeds up and he embraces me and he says, I'm so glad you're here with me and me with you. And he, he takes me out to eat. And it's not like he, had, he was a man of incredible means, but he paid for counseling and care. And in my stupor in the moment, I didn't realize just how powerful this was. But how he chose to respond to me in that moment, it was the difference between my life continuing in the direction of a heap of ashes versus my eyes and heart opened up to new possibilities and hope for the future, and he gave me the latter. And what Jesus is promising you here is your Father in heaven is all of that and more. In fact, he goes one further. Okay, how do you know that your Father in heaven really, really loves you? And it's because you see his heart revealed in the very one urging you to ask, seek, knock. God did not wait on high for you to ask, seek, knock after him. But he first came in the person of Jesus to seek and knock after you. And so when you look at God looking at you, you don't see a face of frustration or disappointment. You certainly don't see someone on a throne who's checked out 
immune to suffering. What you see is a God weeping in a garden as he himself feels the pain of unanswered prayer. You see a God hanging on a cross. You see a God who willingly chose pain in order to give you new life. And you see a God who also waits in the driveway to embrace you and bring you home. And so when you picture God, if he's, if he's frustrated, checked out, disappointed, and you don't want to pray, if you find prayer disappoint, like just boring or you get distracted, I agree with you. Okay, I wouldn't want to pray to that God either. But if God is a generous, compassionate, filled with joy Father who loves it when you come to be with him, that makes me want to pray. And I hope it does for you too. Let's pray.